0: A little Ohio Mysteries business before we get started tonight. I am happy to announce that we have launched a phone number if you'd like to call and leave us a feedback on our episode, suggest another mystery, or just in general, tell us what a great job we are doing. It is 234-738-0966. Again, that is 234-738-0966. We are looking forward to hearing from you. And now, on with the show. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist,
1: Paula Schleiss. Hi, everyone. Okay, Steve, do you know what big anniversary our country is celebrating this week?
0: I do. But since you're the woman, I want you
1: to break it out. Oh, (laughs) well, you know what? Forward-thinking men like yourselves have every right to be proud of this as well. It is the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote in America. And it's crazy if you think about it. A hundred years is not that long ago. For some of us, this means our grandmothers didn't originally have the right to vote. As a matter of fact, on the day I was born... Women had only been voting for 40 years. So what are the chances I could find us a mystery in Ohio related to the suffragette movement? What do you think, Steve?
0: Well, when you asked if I could move the podcast we were going to release, I said, "You yeah, sure. And then when you told me what it was about, I was like. I wonder what mystery she's going to come up with about this, because I can't think of any.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a good one. And I hope, I really hope it will inspire you to know the kind of impact one person can make, even a person at the very bottom of society's ladder. Now, before I get to the mystery part, I need to introduce you to our heroine. And I really want to put you in her shoes so you understand how remarkable this is. So imagine it's the year 1851. This is 10 years before the Civil War. You're black, you grew up a slave, but ran away with your infant daughter. And now you've made it your mission to roam the country speaking out against injustice, not only against slavery, but for what you would become even more famous for, Universal suffrage, the right to vote. Imagine how far ahead of your time you must be. I mean, you're black. The country isn't even going to recognize the rights of your fellow slaves for another decade. Women won't even get the right to vote until every woman you know is dead. And yet there you are, a fiery advocate for equal rights for women. Seriously, in 1851, who is even going to listen to you? Well, they do listen to you and they preserve your message for all time because of a speech that you gave in, of all places, Akron, Ohio. This is the story of Sojourner Truth and ultimately the mystery of her historically famous speech. Sojourner Truth was a first generation American on her dad's side. Her father was born in Africa, in the country we now call Ghana. He was captured, survived the grueling transportation to America, and sold into slavery. His slave owner named him James Baumfree, Baumfree being the surname of his owner. And he was given a wife, Elizabeth Baumfree. She was the daughter of slaves who had been captured in the African country of Guinea. James and Elizabeth had about 12 children, including what I can only imagine was a precocious little girl named Isabella. We don't know exactly when Isabella was born. Historians say their best guess is 1797 in New York's Ulster County. In Isabella's time, her family was owned by Colonel Hardenburg, and when he died, they were passed on to his son Charles. Charles separated the family. In 1806, he tore nine-year-old Isabella from her parents and sold her at an auction with a flock of sheep for $100. Her new owner was a man named John Neely. He was harsh and violent. Isabella would be sold twice more, finally coming to reside on the property of John Dumont in West Park, New York. Isabella's original owners had been Dutch, and so that's what she learned to speak. It wasn't until Dumont became her owner that she learned to speak English for the first time. Around 1815, Isabella fell in love with a slave named Robert. He lived on the farm next door. The two conceived and had a daughter, and they named her Diana. But Robert's owner was furious. The law said ownership of the infant went with the mother, and so Isabella's owner, John Dumont, got the baby. The farmer who owned Robert didn't want his slave fathering any more children that weren't going to be his to own, so he forbade them from seeing each other again. Two years later, Dumont compelled Isabella to marry a slave named Thomas. The couple had three more children, a son, Peter, and two daughters, Elizabeth and Sophia. Isabella was not happy. Her owner had promised to emancipate her, then reneged on that promise. In the fall of 1826, Isabella fled, taking her daughter Sophia with her. The search for Isabella and Sophia didn't go on for long because just a half year later, on the 4th of July, 1827, New York freed all of its slaves. Shortly after this, Isabella was hoping to be reunited with her children when she learned that her five-year-old son, Peter, had been illegally sold to a man in Alabama. This was after the New York slaves were supposed to be freed. And here's where we see that Isabella was not the kind of woman to give up easily. She filed suit in court and won Peter was returned from the South and Isabella Baumfree not only rescued her son, but became the first black woman ever to successfully challenge a white man in a United States courtroom, a runaway slave winning a suit against her former owner. In 1829, Isabella found work as a housekeeper for a Christian evangelist named Elijah Pearson in New York City, and she converted to Christianity. But the drama in her life was far from over. Isabel ended up leaving Pearson's employee to serve as housekeeper to Robert Matthews, by all accounts, a con man and a cult leader whose followers called prophet Matthias. While in his employ, Isabella's former employer Elijah Pearson died and that led to several cult members accusing prophet Matthias of poisoning him in order to steal his money. One couple, Mr. and Mrs. Folger, even tried implicating Isabella in the plot to murder Pearson. Well, Matthews was charged with murder but acquitted for lack of evidence. And Isabella, she went to court again, this time bringing a lawsuit against the Folgers for slander and winning $125. Isabella Baumfree had evolved so much from the time she was that little girl born on a slave farm to an African father. She was increasingly becoming a force to be reckoned with, guided by what she was now saying were commands from God. And on June 1, 1843, she said she was following God's order that she change her name to reflect her new life. Isabella Bownfree became Sojourner Truth to reflect her new mission of being an itinerant preacher, spreading God's word. And devoting her life to activism. Physically, Sojourner Truth's appearance was startling. She was taller than most men. She had the muscular arms of a farmhand and people remarked she was darker than anyone they had ever seen. But she had a magnetism about her, a knack for getting people to simply drop what they were doing and pay attention. She had a forceful, booming voice that would draw them in and hold them captive. For a time, she lived in Massachusetts at what was basically a 500-acre commune of abolitionists. There, she met the likes of William Lloyd Garrison, Frederick Douglass, and David Ruggles, all destined for the history books. When the group disbanded in 1846, she began touring with abolitionist George Thompson and speaking to crowds on the subjects of slavery and human rights. In 1850, Isabella added women's rights to her resume when she spoke at the first national women's rights convention in Worcester, Massachusetts. The next year, Akron, Ohio was set to host the second national women's rights convention This was a time when Akron was writing a significant chapter in its own history. Its population had almost doubled the previous decade, although gold fever was causing a lot of families to go seek their fortunes out west. Akron was also getting ready for the town's first railroad, which was going to cause the city to take a giant leap toward its incredible industrial future but it had also suffered a series of fires that almost destroyed the city's business section. One new business that was completed just in time to help host the women's convention was the Empire, a four-story brick hotel at Main and Market. It was here many of the convention attendants stayed and Northeast Ohio, which was home to many former New Englanders and Quakers who had always supported human rights, eagerly welcomed the feminists. Those who wrote about the event later talked about the energy in town, the warm welcomes, and laying awake in bed listening to a band that serenaded them from somewhere outside. Attendees came from all over the region, by rail, by steamboat, by carriage. They came ready to debate the resolutions of their cause, equal education opportunities, more jobs for women, The right to vote. Now, many of these women probably knew Sojourner Truth from that first convention the previous year. And if they didn't, they had a chance to meet her before the meeting. She walked around town carrying thin volumes she had printed with her biography. She sold them and supported herself on the profits. In Akron, she sold so many. She sent a dispatch to her publisher to have more copies quickly printed in Ravenna, before she left. On the second day of the convention, the Universalist Stone Church, which sat on South High Street on what is the northern edge of downtown Akron, held a standing room-only crowd. It was a sea of mostly white faces, with a striking exception. A tall black form in a white turban stood quietly in the back, watching her fellow feminists spar with their opponents. Suddenly, Sojourner rose from her seat and walked up the aisle. As she approached, there was a profound hush with just a few whispers. And then Sojourner turned to the gathering and spoke in a deep voice that started softly but resonated around the room. Well, children, truth began. Where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that between the Negroes of the South and the women at the North all talking about rights, the white men will be in a fix pretty soon. But what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women needs to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And then Sojourner rose to her full height and her voice to a pitch like rolling thunder as she asked, And ain't I a woman? Look at me, look at my arms, and she bared her right arm to the shoulder, showing its tremendous muscular power. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me, and ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lashes well, and ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard. And ain't I a woman? When they talk about this thing in the head, what's this thing they call it? Intellect, whispered someone near her. That's it, honey. What's that got to do with women's rights or Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint and yours holds a quart... Wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little half-measure fool? Then that little man in black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Well, by now, rolling thunder couldn't have stilled that crowd, those deep, wonderful tones, those outstretched arms, those eyes of fire. Raising her voice still louder, she repeated, Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now that they are asking to do it, the men better let them. Obliged to you for hearing me. And now old Sojourner ain't got nothing more to say. Amid roars of applause, Sojourner headed back down the aisle and returned to her corner. The next day, newspapers carried word about the Women's Convention, and most of them talked in detail about that remarkable Sojourner truth and the speech that brought down the house. That speech is in the history books. Her clever, repetitive chant, ain't I a woman, became the battle cry that echoed among feminists and abolitionists for decades. And so we come to tonight's mystery. Did she say it? How Sojourner led a remarkable life. I haven't told you a fraction of it. It's that slogan, Ain't I a Woman? That is usually the first thing that comes in the first sentence of any biographical account of her. But the thing is, the day after the convention, when newspapers were reporting the details about the speech, none attributed to her the phrase, Ain't I a woman? And none had truth claiming to have 13 children because she didn't. She only had four. Well, historians, being historians, eventually came to wonder why we say she said that. Where did it come from? It's actually quite common for history to get altered and then repeated as fact, like the way folks think the most famous line in the movie Casablanca is, play it again, Sam. It was never said. Or that Sherlock Holmes often told his esteemed colleague, elementary, my dear Watson, never did. Steve, did you know nobody ever said, beam me up, Scotty, on Star Trek?
0: No, I had no idea.
1: Didn't you tell me once there's actually a name for this kind of syndrome where we make things up?
0: Yeah, Mandela Effect, where we believe it was said, but it, it wasn't really said, like, uh, Luke, I am your father. He said, Yeah, she says, no, I am your father.
1: That's right. Yes. Uh, and it, it's just interesting how it happens, especially when it just becomes cemented in history. And the words attributed to Sojourner Truth they became a treasure hunt for 20th century historians. Now, they found the first person to try and write down what Sojourner had said at that convention. His name was Marius Robinson. He was the editor of the Ohio newspaper, the Anti-Slavery Bugle. He published his best recollection of it a month after the convention, but never included, not even once, the words, Ain't I a Woman? We have to go a full dozen years after the convention before we find that phrase mentioned. It was penned by Frances Dana Gage, a wife and mother of eight who was born in Marietta, Ohio, and lived in McConnellsville at the time of the convention. Midwestern housewives knew her well. She wrote poetry, poetry, fiction, and opinion as a newspaper columnist. She was a leader in the feminist movement, a vocal opponent to slavery, and a supporter of temperance. It was 1863, the Civil War was still going on, when Gage decided to dust off her memories about that women's rights convention, and particularly the speech that stirred the emotions of the crowd that day. The words I have attributed to Sojourner Truth in this episode, they were the words Gage shared in her column. Well, almost. Ironically, history has even played games with Gage's recollections. Gage wrote that Truth said, aren't I a woman? And Gage also wrote her entire speech using a slang dialect that historians say Truth would never have used. She was She learned English in well-spoken houses, and so they have cleaned up the language for the history books. But, you know, the point was made. And overnight, people started talking about the inspiration of Sojourner Truth at the dinner table. Truth became immortal. Today, historians are pretty sure that Truth never actually spoke the four words she is most recognized for. Their best guess, they were penned, by a white Ohio woman who really had the good intent of wanting to propel truth to the role of champion. There are even a couple of books published about the search for the truth of truth. And their conclusion, truth shouldn't be known for a slogan anyway, because she is so much more. You know, she helped recruit black troops to fight for the union. She expanded her activism to fight for prison reform and property rights. Life had tempered her into a sort of justice, and she wielded it until the day she died.
0: Even when you were reading that speech, it gave me goosebumps. I have no doubt, even though it is, she didn't say that phrase, that people were pumped when she was speaking.
1: Yeah, you know, whatever happened, newspapers the very next day recorded the electricity that her speech cost so that is not even in question it's just the reduction of her speech to the slogan that she never said but newspapers were extremely impressed the very next day and I, I was really pleased to see that they captured it in the detail they did so good for those uh, 19th century newspapers
0: uh, as a man I felt motivated I can't imagine you know as a woman how how many people that motivated and hopefully it continues to motivate because we can't, we have come a long way but there's still such a long way to go with equal pay equal rights still it would be great if this inspired people to just keep fighting keep you know keep making those speeches
1: there is a long way to go and if nothing else the lesson you can take away from the story is here's a runaway slave In the time when slavery was still legal, fighting for all of these rights, and if she could have that kind of impact, as I said early on, being at the bottom rung of society's ladder, then there is no reason we can't go out and make an impact in our world.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-size Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Ohio Mysteries is produced by Stephen Yoder and Paula Schleiss. Special thanks to our Patreon and PayPal supporters. Thank you Audionautics, Daniel Birch, and Adderan for the music. And of course, to all of you who support our show by listening and telling friends and family about us. You can find us on Twitter at Mysteries Ohio. You can find us on Facebook by just searching for Ohio Mysteries. We are also on Instagram at Ohio Mysteries.